0: I'm not going to say any more about what happens in The Undoing. I don't want to give it away. But Nicole Kidman at the Center of It All delivers one of the best and most nuanced roles of her entire career. That's from David Bianculli of NPR, and I couldn't agree more. The Undoing recommended to me by 1986 World Series champion Ron Darling. One day on set last week, MLB Network. He's like, have you seen The Undoing yet? I'm like, "Uh, no, I'm, you know, he's like, oh, I got to see it. I'm like, okay, I'm in. I love HBO. All my favorite shows are HBO, Sopranos, Larry Sanders Show, Oz, The Undoing, a miniseries, which is fantastic. And I didn't need much convincing, because you got Nicole Kidman, who I think is sensational. It's written by David E. Kelly. Joe and I have discussed before how many billions of dollars that guy has, Michelle Pfeiffer's husband. And you've also got Hugh Grant, who I've always enjoyed. Hugh Grant, a, a much bigger departure from his uh, foppish ways that you're used to seeing way back when from Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, That's going to be our main review. We're also going to talk about Rosemary's Baby, which, in honor of Halloween, I actually watched, I think, a week and a half ago. I just forgot to discuss it here on Cinephile. But the main reason you're listening, I want everyone to go watch The Climb. It's a new movie opening up in theaters this Friday, and I watched the screener, and I was howling. It's the funniest movie of the year. It's hysterical, and we're going to talk to... Two of the guys from it, they, they co-wrote it, uh, Michael Angelo Cavino directed it, and he also stars along with Kyle Marvin, who co-wrote and stars. These guys are good buddies, and uh, listen, the interview is really funny, you're going to enjoy, but seriously, go watch The Climb, because I really think it's a great, great film. In addition to that, we uh, pay tribute to Alex Trebek, great Canadian, and obviously an icon in two countries. After uh, his incredible career hosting Jeopardy, he passes away at the age of 80. Uh, as always, you can get in touch with us at uh, Cinephile Pod or Adnan Esferk. Let me know what you think of the pod, what you like, what you don't like. We're always happy to take feedback here. Um, I did see a, a review recently. My friend Susan Emery, she's the best. She's always supporting the pod. She also thinks I'm hot, but I think she's just on medication. Um, I also want to thank Philly Steak 2323. I look forward to my Wednesday bike ride. I like this one because the climb, by the way, is about two guys, and it starts with a bike ride. That's why I'm reading this one. Philly Steak 2323. I look forward to my Wednesday bike ride simply because of a new pod. It's the best resource for movies I've missed, forgotten to watch, or never even heard about. The excitement to talk about the the behind-the-scenes stuff as well as the actual films is something I revel in. It's like listening to my buddies talk movies, assuming I was buddies with actual cinephiles. Hey, Philly Steak 2323. You're friends of ours, okay? Seriously. Along with the bad guy 127, Susan Emery. Meh, meh. I appreciate all the positive words. And once again, please go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Let's talk about the undoing. And yes, I am uh, skittish to unveil too much information. So I'm going to be very careful with this review. No spoilers. Uh, I'm three episodes in. I believe it is a six-episode miniseries for HBO. I wish it was longer. I mean, I'm upset uh, if uh, Google is to be believed here That's it's only six episodes because I think it's fascinating. I'll give you the basics of it, all right? So Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant, Rich Manhattanites, He's an oncologist. He's literally dealing with kids dying of cancer. He seems like a very kind man. Because it's Hugh Grant, he also seems like a charming man because of his British accent and the aforementioned foppish hair. He's not umming and awing and stuttering the way he used to in Four Weddings and a Funeral. But now he's aged in maturity. And as an actor, I've always liked Hugh Grant's work. I thought, in particular, his work... um, with the Meryl Streep film, Florence Foster Jenkins. You know, he almost got an Oscar nomination for that movie. He got the Golden Globe nominations. I thought that was one of his best works in years. But anyways, you got Hugh Grant. Nice guy. Nicole Kidman, who, as I mentioned earlier, I think is just fantastic. If you watched her performance in Big Little Lies, she was utterly convincing as a woman suffering at the hands of terrible physical and mental abuse against Alexander Skarsgård. And... Uh, at the same time, you can see how it's such a destructive relationship, how those relationships even exist. I mean, going back to Eyes Wide Shut, Nicole Kidman, you know, is going to bring it, okay? I don't think she's going to touch for light comedy, but I think if you're looking at a serious, intense role, Nicole Kidman is going to do that for you. So, they've got a fairly idyllic life. Her and her husband, they got one kid. Like I said, rich nights they go to banquets, they go to fundraisers, live in the life. And then all of a sudden, uh, they meet this new family not necessarily a family, just the mother at least. She's got one of these groups here, you know, like I don't want to call it a PTO meeting, but like a meeting of all the moms, right? Moms meeting. And this one woman who's younger, in the middle of the meeting, just pulls at her top, starts breastfeeding her child. And afterwards, you know, the gals being the gals, a little snippy, a little gossipy, like, oh my God, what was that all about? Like, she's got perfect breasts, but what is she doing just breastfeeding in front of all of us? As you can tell, the woman in question is probably late 20s, and the moms are in their 40s. Later on, Nicole Kidman's at the gym, and this woman walks up. This is the same woman earlier who was breastfeeding, Latina woman, completely naked, like in the buff, muff. You got everything. Just goes up, starts having a conversation with her, and Nicole Kibben is now very flummoxed. She's telling Hugh Grant, it, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so weird. This remember that girl I was telling you about? Yeah, she's completely naked, carrying on a conversation. Which, Joe, if you may jump in, how long would you be repulsed if you're at a gym and a guy who you just met, maybe you're like in a book club or something, he walks up to you fully naked. At what point do you guys, hey, seriously, put some clothes on? I don't want to be staring at your junk in my face.
1: I'm, I'm going to say, knowing me, I probably would just politely stand there and just <laughs> not do it. I'd just, I'd just be like, uh-huh, that's really interesting about the squash court, please. <laughs> That's all
0: I kept thinking. I'm like, how long? Because you're right. You don't know the person that well. Like, if it was me walking, I'd be like, God Nick, come on. I'm like, I'm oh, sorry, Joe. Just kidding around. But, like, you don't really know this person that well. And they're just standing there completely naked. You're in a locker room. So you're like, you don't want to be, like, you know, uptight about your sexuality. Look, okay, you're fine. This guy's naked. Okay, whatever. We're in a locker room. But it was just very funny to me. That's an aside. Uh, they go to a banquet. And then I don't want to say anything more. Okay. I'm not spoiling anything. Then, then a, an event happens. How about that? An event happens. And it ends up throwing their entire life into absolute chaos. And it is a uh, stirring, riveting mystery from the mind of David E. Kelly. Again, Joe and I talked about before. I think his net worth, I'm not kidding, is like $150 million. Like, he's, he's rich beyond rich. But I got to give him credit, man. As a writer, for all the hype that Aaron Sorkin gets, like Adam Amin, he's brought to tears by Aaron Sorkin. I'm like, hang on a second. Sorkin, gifted guy, but awfully schmaltzy. Like, heavy on the corn. And David E. Kelly... Hey, man, you go back and watch a good episode of Picket Fences, that'll put you in the right mood, okay? 90s auteur when it comes to great writing. Who isn't going to say no to a little helping at Ally McBeal, okay? The practice, and legal, I mean, DVD Kelly, come on, he's done some things. I thought his writing was so sharp, particularly writing for women. As I said, this is an extension, I think, of kind of what he did with Big Little Lies and The Monterey Five. He again shows he's got a real skill for portraying uh, domestic issues. I've mentioned the cast already. I thought it's really well shot. Susanna Beer, I believe, is the one who directed it. She's done some good independent work. I believe a Danish-American filmmaker. It's got a really good look to it. Uh, So I don't want to say anything else. I'd like to say more, but again, I don't want to spoil it. So The Undoing, I've seen three episodes so far. I'm giving it four Maple Leafs. I'm completely engrossed. If anything, actually... All of you should wait until it's all done because I'm, I'm upset that I can't binge watch it. I watched the first two episodes back to back. Then I had to wait a few days, watch the third episode. It airs Sunday at 9 o'clock Eastern on HBO. That's their classic slot for the shows they know are good or miniseries that they know are prestige projects. And I got to wait till Sunday here. Like I'm upset. Uh, the Undoing, Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant, David E. Kelly, a miniseries that will have you just a little unhinged. Joe, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, and that was my question to you. I was going to ask if it was kind of reminiscent to Big Little Lies, Sharp Objects, The Affair even, on Hulu. And it seems like with all these celebrities, these A-list, strictly film celebrities are now more and more comfortable doing TV and dramas that we're just going to keep getting some quality dramas from HBO. Do you agree with that? I agree. And listen, I'm one of these
0: uh, suckers for celebrity, okay? I don't know if I'm watching The Affair, if it's just starring whomever. But if they go, hey, Dominic West, Maura Tyranny, sure, yeah. The Wire, Love Turn Insomnia, News Radio, sure, I'm in. And you're right. That's a different level of celebrity than if you tell me Meryl Streep is in Big Little Lies. I think that's why I watched Big Little Lies. We're during the pandemic, and I'm like, okay, I know Meryl Streep's in season two. What the hell? Let's give season one a shot. And again, I got big stars. Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Zoe Kravitz. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm in. As you said, Pacino's done it with Angels in America. I mean, these miniseries are the way to go in many ways. Like, I loved uh, I Know This Much Is True, which won Mark Ruffalo an Emmy Award for his brilliant performance playing dual roles in that Wally Lamb adaptation. So um, it's interesting. I, I, I have difficulty committing to an entire show, like, you've recommended to me to watch The Boys. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, that's 10 episodes, season one, uh, season two, okay, that's a lot. Whereas a miniseries, you go, hey, wait, six hours? Yeah, that I can do. It's more of a, a commitment than a movie, which is my preferable way to go. But it's not an actual show. Like, uh, I think that's kind of the way to go. So, yes, it's, it's one of those more prestige projects. And, again, I'm sure it's doing great business here for, uh, for HBO. I'll read a little more here. I don't want to give too much. I'm reading the actual HBO review. Now, I don't want to give away. They say too much. <laughs> as I'm reading this, I'm like, no, just, j- just, just know that an event happens. They're giving away way too much here. you gotta, you got to see this as I saw it, which is I literally knew nothing. I knew that Ron Darling liked it, and I watched it. Uh, by the way, Donald Sutherland, great Canadian, is also in the show. He plays uh, Nicole Kidman's father. And Edgar Ramirez, I always like him. He plays Detective Joe Mendoza. Yes, there are cops involved. Uh, Matthew Gilbert, it's fun to watch Grant in action dodging our presumptions about his character kidman is good too if a bit distractingly waxen how's that for your word of the day waxen the next time you're talking to someone just say well i like the kidman's performance i just found it a little bit waxen and rachel cook of new statesman no matter how much you crave kitchen islands beige cashmere and central park in the snow i'd be willing to bet you won't want to keep watching the undoing beyond episode two ouch Ooh, scathing review there from Rachel Cook. I'm surprised. I thought it was great. I hope you all enjoyed it too. You can let me know as always. You can tweet me or post at pod. All right, one more uh, review here, and then we'll do a little bit of news, and I cannot wait to get to the guys from the climb. Rosemary's Baby. The reason I saw it was it was kind of popped up in my cable package, and I said, okay, I've never seen it, Polanski. I know he's, uh, you know, hashtag canceled by a lot of people because of uh, off-the-field issues, as they say. But Chinatown, I think, is one of the great 70s movies of all time. And I want to go check this out. It was around Halloween. Here's the story. Young wife comes to believe that her offspring is not of this world. Wayfish, Rosemary Woodhouse, Mia Farrow, and her struggling actor husband, Guy, John Cassavetes. Let's be honest. A lot of the reason I watched this was for John Cassavetes. Because Rogowski loves him. And Rag's time reviewed Husbands. I'm like, okay, Cassavetes, I'm going to watch this. They moved to a New York City apartment building with an ominous reputation and odd neighbors, Roman and Minnie Castavat, Sidney Blackmore, and Ruth Gordon. When Rosemary becomes pregnant, she becomes increasingly isolated, and the diabolical truth is revealed only after Rosemary gives birth. So what I think Rosemary's baby does a very good job of is impending dread. And a lot of that goes to Polanski. Again, he's the writer and director. And that feeling of you're supposed to have this wonderful occasion of having a child, but then slowly but surely something seems awry. And I thought the impending dread of Rosemary's Baby is something that Polanski certainly does well. Having said that, it is awfully dated. And I'm really building up to the conclusion of this because I'm like, obviously, I know where I think this is going. And once we get to the moment where (laughs) the one neighbor... Starts chanting, hail Satan, hail Satan. Like, that guy was fantastic. I was like, I just imagine that guy on set. Even after Plansky calls cut, he's like, hail Satan, hail Satan. I'm like, all right, all right, enough of the Satan worship. But she delivers a baby that is Satan. And again, I saw parallels to the movie Mother, which was a terrible movie. And I love Darren Aronofsky, but that movie is awful. God, what a waste that was. Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Michelle Pfeiffer. But definitely parallels to Mother in that, okay, again, they seem to be having a child, everything's positive, but there's other stuff going on. Uh, that movie was just absurd and ridiculous. In this case, though, it is an allegory, I think, for you know how women treat their bodies and the danger of commitment and the fact that Cassavetes basically accepts this deal of the devil. I mean, I, I was very disappointed in my man Cassavetes. But the scene where Mia Farrow now realizes she has given birth to Satan and finally sees the baby, I mean, it just shows how dated this movie is. I mean, it came out in 1968. That image of Satan <laughs> in, in the crib was laughable. The Exorcist, which Bill Simmons and company just did a terrific rewatchables on. You should listen to it on The Ringer. Sean Fennessey, Uh, those guys always do an awesome job. Chris Ryan as well. And they were talking about The Exorcist as a critical 70s movie, again, a decade which I adore. And how it still holds up, like it's still a creepy movie. Yes, could you improve the special effects of times? Of course you could. That movie came out 47 years ago, but it's still really scary. And especially when Simmons points out the immortal line, your mother sucks cocks in hell. Like, how are you going to top that? That's why The Exorcist, I mean, if you translate it to today's dollars, it made like $400 million at the time. Like, it was a gigantic hit, in addition to getting uh, Academy Award love and a real big win for Billy Friedkin. So that's why I thought it was interesting to juxtapose a movie like The Exorcist, which was, you know, critically acclaimed, made a ton of money, you got a baby spinning around. I mean, there's a scene where she's, like, stabbing herself with a crucifix in a private area. Like, this is just disgusting. Rosemary's Baby, rightfully or perhaps wrongfully, does not have those kind of scares and thrills. It's more just a feeling of, uh, as I said for the third time, impending doom and dread. I'm going to give it two Maple Leafs. I just don't think it holds up. Maybe at the time, Joe, I'd give it three Maple Leafs, but the ending, you got to wow me with the ending, and the ending I was kind of laughing at, I'll be honest.
1: Yeah, I watched it a number of years ago. I'm kind of disappointed to hear that it doesn't hold up that well. But I don't know if you know this anecdote. It's one of the more famous anecdotes from this movie. But, you know, that traffic scene where Mia Farrow walks into traffic, that is real traffic that she's walking into. And Roman Polanski got her to do it because he said that. No one's going to hit a pregnant woman. So in that cut, she is actually walking out into real oncoming traffic in that scene. And Roman Polanski is holding a handheld camera behind her because he was the only one willing to walk into traffic with her.
0: (laughs) Okay, that is a tremendous nugget. I had no idea. And that's horrifying.
1: Like sometimes you hear these stories.
0: They were telling those stories about Friedkin. Like Friedkin on the set of The Exorcist, he not only slapped a priest at one, but apparently he punched him. Like, literally, like, like close fist, like, wham! Like, he was trying to get the reaction. He punched a priest. Polanski told Mia Farrow to go into oncoming traffic. This is what the 70s were like, man. These directors were just, I mean, they were brilliant, but also just a little bit unhinged.
1: Oh, yeah. I got one more for you, then. Um, Did you know Jack Nicholson was originally pitched to play John Cassavetes' character? But he met with Roman Polanski, and Roman Polanski was like, he looks a little bit too sinister.
0: <laughs> That's pretty funny. I could see Jack in that role. I mean, he obviously, he's a brilliant actor. But I, I think it would take away from Mia Farrow. It really is Mia Farrow's movie. I mean, if there's a, a one thing to recommend about her, her performance, uh, listen, you know the name because of Woody Allen and all the rest of it. I believe dated Sinatra back in the day. But uh, Mia Farrow's acting in Rosemary's Baby definitely holds up. I mean, this is a woman coming apart uh, mentally unhinged, uh, she certainly is great. Cassavetes, I thought, was really good. But again, you're right. If Nicholson was in there, it would have been a little bit distracting because it's Jack Nicholson. So you're expecting Jack to be Jack. And instead, uh, wisely, everyone seeds the stage towards Pharaoh. Ruth Gordon, also pretty good, I thought, in a supporting role as well. So the ladies definitely carry it. All right, a little bit of entertainment news. Who is a Canadian icon that made all of us a lot smarter and a lot more curious than any of us would have ever realized? That's right. Who is Alex Trebek. Passes away, stage four pancreatic cancer. He announced that he had it a year ago, March of 2019, a year and a half ago. And uh, now he just passed away on Sunday. 80 years of age. Began hosting game shows in his native country of Canada. I moved to the U.S. to emcee The Wizard of Odds and High Rollers for NBC. I believe he did reach for the top back home. Man, Robert Carnell sent me a link. Uh, it's a classic show back in Canada. In 2011, Lifetime Achievement Award from the Daytime Emmys. He's also won seven Emmys for Outstanding Game Show Host. In 2014, Guinness World Records announced that Trebek had broken the record for the most game show episodes hosted by the same person on the same program. According to a press release, Jeopardy! episodes hosted by Trebek will air through December 25th of this year. The release also shared that his last day in the studio was October 29th, 2020, which means he worked until only 10 days before his death. I worked the NHL draft for NHL Network, and the the pick from the Ottawa Senators, it was Alex Trebek. Like the GM and president, like, all right, let's go to a special guest. And there he was in the Jeopardy set, going, the Ottawa Senator to select, who is? I'm like, this guy's unbelievable. Like he's just he's he was working until the end, and as I said, intelligent, curious, witty, classy. You can't find a single person who was not saddened by the news of Alex Trebek's death.
1: Joe? Talk about a multi generational, influential icon and this past week, not to get too political, but has just been dominated by U.S. election news. And when he passed away, my entire Twitter feed was just Trebek, Trebek. Alex Trebek passes away. Alex Trebek tribute.
0: Yeah, after the week of upheaval, uh, intelligence beats idiocy, and Alex Trebek passes away on Sunday. And uh, at least he had that moment to himself, as you said, because Saturday we were all wrapped up in the election, finally coming to an end. And then Alex Trebek says, okay, I've done my work here. I'm moving on. Uh, One bit of baseball news here. And we are going to talk, by the way, to the filmmakers behind The Last Out. That's a documentary about Cuban baseball. That's going to be next week. But Randy Rosarena, Cuban player who's been unbelievable. You saw his postseason run for the Rays. Well, now they're going to make a movie about it. Wonder Film Media announcing plans for an arena biopic slated to be filmed after next season, released in theaters in fall 2022 or spring 2023. Full-length feature will focus on a Arena's escape from Cuba, his journey to the major leagues, leading up to his stunning postseason success, said Wonder Film co-founder Brett Saxon, who framed it as an amazing story of human, spir- uh, human spirit and how it triumphs. Arena's agent had reached out to Saxon through a mutual friend months ago, pitched the idea of a movie based on his experiences, and obviously, talks heated up, as a Roserana did during the postseason, specifically against the Yankees' the Yankees, Saxons' favorites, and a deal was struck during the World Series. They've already hired screenwriter Brad Gann, who penned the 2006 Invincible football movie that starred Mark Wahlberg. That's right, Vince Papali. So Brad Gann is going to write the script. A Roserana movie will be the second featuring the Rays, joining Disney's 2002 The Rookie. That's right. That was about pitcher Jim Morris. Very, very cool stuff there involving Randy Arosarena. All right. After the break, the stars of The Climb, Kyle Marvin and Michael Angelo Cavino and the Mount Rushmore buddy movies. I'm going to tell you first about The Climb, and then we're going to air the interview for you. So Kyle and Martin, these guys are best friends who share a close bond until Mike sleeps with Kyle's fiance. The Climb is about a tumultuous but enduring relationship between two men across many years of laughter, heartbreak, and rage. It is also the story of real-life best friends who turn their profound connection into a rich, humane, and frequently uproarious film about the boundaries or lack thereof in all close friendships. A darkly comic, remarkably intimate character saga about two lifetime, longtime friends who tend to bring out the worst in each other, the film could be a star-making moment for the writing and acting team of Michael Angelo Covino and Kyle Marvin with Covina also making his featured directorial debut. Maybe I'll be wrong, but honestly, I think this movie is going to be huge. I think these guys are big time talents and you're going to want to listen to this interview. The climb, it's amazing. And the interview is next after this. The Climb is quite simply the funniest movie I've seen this year. And yes, I've seen the sequel to Borat, so that's exactly how praiseworthy they am of this movie. The Climb is fantastic. It's a real thrill to welcome in Michael Angelo Cavino, who is one of the stars, also the director, and Kyle Marvin, right now to Cinephile. And listen boys, we have lots of different directions to go in. I've got notes here of all my favorite one-liners, so I want stories behind <laughs> all of them. I, I never thought I would start this way in talking about a comedy, and that's about the directing. I, Michael, I'm blown away by this. So I adore oh, says. Go. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> like, I, 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 I'm looking at these tracking shots. I'm going, wait, this this isn't supposed to be like in a bromance comedy. Like, yeah, certainly there's some artistry in Judd Apatow's movies or Mel Brooks' comedy. Sure, whatever. John Hughes. But I mean, the opening shot I'm watching is you guys on a bike, and that's a nine minute tracking shot. I'm like, this is so seamless. Tell me all about this because I felt like I was watching an art house bromance comedy. It was amazing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I mean, I think that was kind of
2: the point, uh, you know, we, we know the films that we like, which are like, we, we love comedies. We, we love, you know, we love slapstick and Kyle and I, you know, at, we have a very, we have a shared um, sensibility when it comes to the type of films that, we, that we've always loved. But we also, you know, love European cinema and love art house cinema. And, and um, I think uh, it, it, it just doesn't feel mutually exclusive to us. And I think when you look back to a lot of the comedies made in the seventies, and even the 60s you see that that they were just way more patient and um you know they, they were there was there was a there was a patience to the way um these films rolled out and and the uh, you know the, the scenes played out and the and the, the mise-en-scene existed and you know and, and you wouldn't cut away because you wanted to make sure you got a certain number of jokes in in a minute you would just let like <laughs> let something sit and then a joke would just be a bit more um organic and so that's really what we were going for was like that kind of uh I don't want to say Mike Nichols vibe, but, but, you know, definitely carnal knowledge was a, was a real,
0: you know, influence in, in, in thinking when we made this film. No, I, I'm fascinated by the influences. So I'm glad you mentioned Nichols. I also had run review and it says kind of like if Eric Romare made a bromance comedy, which I thought was another interesting <laughs> reference. Uh, I, you know, Howard Stern, whenever he interviews people, he always says, how much did you make? That's not my question. My question is always how many takes that first scene on the bikes. How many takes was that Kyle?
3: Yeah, I think we did that. I, it's funny because I, I the the number keeps getting longer. Every time Kyle
0: gets interviewed, he's like forty-seven. <laughs> he's Like this is not right, Kyle.
3: You got to check yourself at some point. I think it's like twenty or twenty-one. Yeah, I think it's 20, 20 takes. It's still, it's still like we we did over a day and a half, basically, because the way we shot all these scenes is we'd spend a day rehearsing and then a day shooting, um, and so that was spread out. But still, each of those each of those uh, takes was you know. Two and a half miles uphill, you know, <laughs> so it got to be a lot on uh, by the end of the day.
0: Yeah, after a while, I'm like, dude, it's just a comedy. Like enough. Like, well, why does it have to be one tracking yeah. shot? We can just cut <laughs> a couple
2: times. It's not a big deal. Yeah, that's the, that's kind of what we loved about it. Is like when you when you realize that you're seven minutes in, and you're like, wait, they're still riding up a hill. Oh, they're actually exhausted, <laughs> and, and and you're you're watching this guy try to process the frustration of his best friend having slept with his fiance. And, and and you see like he's angry, but he's also just exhausted. So like he can't really be fully angry. That that was what was so fun and exciting to us was like allowing the physicality of the scene to inform the way the characters process the emotions.
0: Kyle, I understand you guys are actually good buddies in real life. So this means I should be referring to you as like the Affleck and Matt Damon of the twenty first century. Yeah, which one am I? <laughs>
2: I
3: I I'll leave
0: that to you.
2: I like them both. <laughs> it's so
0: funny. Yeah. So how long have you guys been friends for? Like how did the how did the story even first come about? Is this just like, you know, Favreau and uh uh Vince Vaughn sitting around going, Hey, you know what? I'm trying to make Gretzky's head bleed. Let's actually make a movie called Swingers. Like where where did this genesis come from? I mean,
2: that's exactly what it was. It was like, How do we make swingers? Swingers was already made. Uh it's been twenty years. <laughs> um, well, I guess we'll go we'll, we'll make our closest game we can in, in the modern day. I mean, we were we at
3: the time we were we were a little more proactive. We were hustling really hard, trying to make you know industrial commercials and and those kind of things. So we were sort of trying to keep ourselves afloat by making money any way we could with cameras. Um, and and the short sort of came out of the came out of that process in in that we were like we have to do something at some point with both of us. And Mike had this idea for the which you know became the short, which is the opening scene of the movie. And uh, and then we sort of fit it in when we knew there was a commercial on a Friday and a commercial on a Monday, and we had the camera equipment that we planned ahead of time and said, Okay, good, we know we've got the camera this weekend, let's rehearse this scene, let's let's, you know, let's figure this out. And then we shot it in, in between two commercials.
0: It it sounds like Robert Rodriguez shooting El Mariachi. Like, listen, I've got the equipment. Let's just knock this out. Oh, we can't. So, how many days did it take to shoot, Michael?
2: The 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 feature.
0: Yeah. The full, the full film.
2: Uh, it was, I think, a total of thirty five or thirty six shoot days. I lost count toward the end because we kept adding them in like the winter. Well, we we had to wait for
3: we had to wait for winter for the back part of the scenes, and it just we we happened to be in a year where winter just did not come. So we had to go down for a little bit and wait for the ice, you know, ice to freeze in the North to finish it up.
0: Um, I think the unsung hero, and I'm one of those people who is a nerd enough to watch all the credits, but I want to know everything about Zach Cooperstein or is it (laughs) Cooperstein? He's the DP. This guy, remarkable work by Zach. Tell me about him. Yeah. Yeah. Zach's
2: great. We've not, you know, we've known Zach for like, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years, something like that. Um, And uh, we've worked with him over the years and he's, He's just one of those resourceful, can do it all type DPs who's you know came out of NYU and lives in New York City, and um, you know we were looking for you know someone that we could have a shorthand with and and that I, that I could feel really comfortable leaning on and that could really execute these these shots that I hadn't really figured out how we would pull off. I just knew what I wanted them to be. So it was really you know it was like oh I know that it needs to do this and this and this and this, but I have no idea how it's going to go from. You know uh, the smoothness of a steady cam to you know handheld in the same shot, and you know to Zach's credit, he was able to like build electromagnetic rigs from scratch that he would turn off, and and the thing would drop onto his shoulder, and then he would walk into the church.
3: It's so funny. He was he you know I'm sure there's like expensive ways to do all these shots, but we were like we're a small independent film, we don't have the resources, and he's like, all right, I need. Duct tape, two sticks, and, a, and like a pigeon feather, and you're like, oh, I guess that's how you did it, and it just worked. Yeah, he very much MacGyvered all of the all the crazy shots together. Oh.
0: All right, I'm gonna go through my favorite one-liners, then just comment on them, please. Uh, Viagra for women, it makes you wet. That's Kyle's commercial.
2: Yeah, I, I think I wrote that line.
0: <laughs> I definitely wrote the jingle. Yeah, he did write like the jingle. I was like very adamant about
2: it. Like, Kyle's like, I don't care what yeah, yeah. the music sounds like. I was, like <laughs> there were there was times he was just pacing in the apartment,
3: singing the jingle into his phone for the for the for the, the musicians to record. He was like, no, 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 the jingle should sound exactly like this. Uh,
0: never have I ever warmed up chicken cutlets to masturbate. Yeah, uh,
2: my uncle told me that story one time. He's like, you never warmed up chicken cutlets to masturbate. I was like, no. And he was like, oh, you got to warm up chicken cutlets to masturbate. I was like, you're a a Lunatic. He
3: never clarified how to warm them up, though. That's the, that's the secret that no, no one's ever in
2: He said my microwave. <laughs>
0: uh, wine and Jägermeister. It's a new experience. Wine and Jägermeister.
2: Uh, you know, I've never actually drank wine and Jägermeister, but I imagine it would be really, really uh, uh, problematic. I mean, I, we used to like in high school. We used to drink a lot of Jägermeister, and my friend and my friends would make a whole thing out of it, and and so like it, that was like just a throwback to to these nights where everyone decided I'm going to like out on Jägermeister. I've never
3: drinking wine and Jägermeister consciously, but I'm sure I've done it.
0: <laughs> We're talking with Kyle Marvin, Michael Angelo Cavino, The Climb. It's an outstanding film available shortly. How about the Union Cemetery crew? Like it, please tell me that's based on real experience. Cause I was howling at that concept.
2: So that actually, uh, my, my great aunt, Died, uh, and we were at a few, we were at a cemetery in the Bronx because you know my whole family's uh, Italian Americans from the Bronx, and uh, and we're there. And my uncle, her grandson, is sort of uh, trying to lift the casket out of the out of the hearse, and these these cemetery workers come up to me, like, no no no, you can't touch that. This is a Union Cemetery, and they almost got into a fight, and I I lost my mind with like this is probably I don't know I want to say like eight years ago I I, I could I, I was so shocked that this was happening and I was like I don't know where this is gonna go but it's going in a movie at some point
3: The yeah. was that the guy who plays the lead cemetery work worker John Donello was a union guy and as soon as he was
2: <laughs> like I got this he's like oh, no, no I got this I got this He actually came in he came in to read for something else and we were like, you think you could actually go back out and read this other one thing he comes in he goes, I was like, so here's the deal. He goes, I know what it is. He goes, know, you're in the cemetery. He goes, you can't touch the coffin. I was like, how no. he goes, no. I was like, how do you know this? He's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a union boss.
0: Oh, that's hysterical. He's like, I got this. Like, uh, yeah. Gary the biker. He struck me as a Dennis Franz type. Is that, is that just me? Like, if you, if you had to cast him, like looking for like a Dennis Franz kind of guy. He was, he was fantastic. He,
3: the second he came in, he, he we were just like, oh yeah, that's. That's it. You got it. Like, Doesn't matter what, what we do, you're going to kill it. He, he's, he would, you know, he would, when we were working with him, he would just sort of riff lines when we were sort of coming up with stuff and everything he said was hilarious. It was like, okay, yeah. Your mind just works in
2: this way that normal humans don't. Well, he kind of is yeah. that character in real life, which is sort of amazing. <laughs> you know, he, kind of, he, kind of, he kind of just like says things and he looks at the world in just a different, like this weird way that, that is so unique and that we loved we, you know, When he walked into audition, we were just like, yeah, you got the part. And he's like, I didn't audition yet. We're like, no, yeah, you
3: he literally said us on set. He's like, oh, man, things are looking up where I live. A Boston market just opened across the street. And I was like, okay, yeah, yeah you're right. I,
0: I love that final song. I, it's a it's a beautiful moment. It's a very bittersweet, tender moment. Gracias, adios. Is that the song? Yeah. Who sings that song? Uh, it's uh, Gilbert Bacot. It's this uh,
2: French uh, musician who we found this. We found... <laughs> basically he, he's, he kind of is like the Sinatra yeah. of, like, in, in, of France in a way. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people who are like the Sinatra of France, but <laughs> he, he was like this old crooner who um, had these amazing songs that mostly in French. And for some reason he decided to record all those, he recorded his entire like greatest hits album in almost every language. So he recorded it in, in German, in Spanish, in English. Italian, and he recorded it in English. And we came across the English version and we we're like, the way he's uh, accentuating words and the way he's pr- 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 pronouncing things is just like too perfect. It, we, and it, it just felt like this really nice hybridization between like French music being translated into English.
0: Yeah, it's a heavy French soundtrack. I mean, I even like the couple of slow motion skiing the slalom and they get the French music going. It definitely helped with that whole European aesthetic to it. I always think timing is everything when it comes to comedies, right? 93 minutes. All the respect to Apatow, I don't need 200 minutes. Uh, this is 40. Like, just keep it tight. How how cognizant were you guys of, hey, listen, 90 minutes, boys. Let's keep this thing tight.
3: <laughs> well, the problem is, I mean, when you when they're all single takes, you, you can't really extend it anymore. <laughs> That's a good point. So, uh, so there was that. I mean, we, we did spend some time cutting down scenes. There are longer scenes, believe it or not. Some of those scenes go on longer, and it was really – a lot of the editing process was to tighten it up and take away stuff. So – you know, we did end up chip trimming away time.
2: I, I, I just think we were aware that you know we weren't doing ourselves any favors uh, with our, with with our first film in making it too long because like look like if if the movie was going well, great. Then we can get get people out of the theater in ninety five minutes, and they'll be appreciative. But if it was going bad, they wouldn't sit around for two hours. It was almost like a safeguard against, even if we make a bad movie, we could say it's 93 minutes and maybe people will watch it. Well, I,
0: I think that absolutely, by the way, is an important thing. When I do the podcast, I tell people, 35 minutes, okay, 45 minutes, I don't know if I have 45 minutes in my day. You know, it makes me think of also because I love Von Favreau's collaboration with the movie Made, which I know some people didn't like. They thought Vaughn's character was too aggravating. And that's my question to you, Mike. I, I think you steered that line very carefully. Uh this guy is so ridiculous. He is such a pain in the ass, but yet there's this charm about him, this likability. And Kyle just seems like such a sweetheart that he'd be like, Yeah, I got I gotta look out for this guy. Like, like <laughs> even the moments of real sadness, like, man, Mike got fat, You put on weight. Like it's how were you able to steer this is a in some ways, a very unlikable character, yet he's a central character of the movie. You've got to be along with this guy on some level. Yeah, I mean, my character is really
2: unlikable. I think that... I, think <laughs> I, I still, to this day, I th- think a lot of people probably watch the movie and hate me and my character. But, you know, I, I think what we what we were confident in was that, like, what everything this guy was doing was rooted in truth. And, and as long as we could understand why he was doing these things, we'd probably get away with it. And I think because at the end of the day, he's just a sad, like kind of lonely guy who like he's acting in in his own self-interest and he's acting, you know, in a selfish way, but he's only doing that because he's got nothing else. And I think that, I think, I think we really had confidence in the relatability of that and that, that people are genuine, generally empathetic to characters they feel sorry for. And like, if we could, you know, if we could just convey that there was reasons behind why this guy was constantly doing this, uh, people might be able to relate to it.
0: Last one for you, Michael. You said that USA Today, we really lucked out with the distributor we ended up working with on this film, Sony Pictures Classics. They didn't put us online. They didn't put us on a digital platform. They really held out until they're at theaters safely, back open in America, and we can try to find an audience, even if it's not everywhere. I think that's critical, right? You guys made a great, great film, but so often distribution and marketing and commercial appetites, that's a big part of this as well. So just speak a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I I mean look, it's a comedy comedies are supposed to be seen in groups of people in theaters. Now, like, you know, wh- whether this goes on for 10 years or another six months, you know, that does, it's not going to change the, the, the nature of human beings that we, that we are communal, you know, individual, we are communal, uh, group of, uh, uh species that 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 want to sit together and tell stories and want to laugh together and want to experience things together so i mean to me it's just you know my my love for cinema and i think i could speak for kyle like our love for cinema comes from sitting in a dark theater with a group of strangers and laughing together and um and you know we don't we're not really as interested in like cannibalizing that for upfront money or for, or for like what's going on right now, which is like, it's just so easy to kind of inject it into someone's living room. It's like, yeah, but you know what else? There's, there's something really beautiful about like how we've all grown to become cinephiles or or fans of cinema as a result of uh, this separation where you had to go to a movie theater to see that this, this great, you know this great story be told.
3: Yeah. And it's, you know, our movie is a little bit different in that, you know, traditional comedy has so many jokes per minute that you can you can turn it on go get a you know a glass of whatever and come back and still be laughing and tracking or you know or take a phone call and then look back up at the screen you're still laughing whereas with this film you kind of got to the joke's going to be set up five minutes before it pays off so if you didn't catch it it's not going to it's not going to feel the same so it's showing That's it true. in a the theater Showing in the a theater setting is, is sort of the right fit for this, and also props to Mongrel up in Canada who's releasing yes. the theaters there.
0: My fellow Canadians, yes.
2: Last one, how'd you get George Went? Oh, we reached out to his manager. We 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 wanted someone who would be like, just a- anyone who watched the movie would go, oh yeah, I I feel comfortable with him. I know him. Like I, I like like. I, 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 a father for Kyle who would put everyone at peace and at home and feel like they're at home. And I think like, you know, having George who everyone knows from cheers was just like, this is, yeah, this is a home run if we can get him. And, you know, to his credit, he read the script and liked it and saw the short and just signed on. Like it was pretty straightforward.
3: He, he was amazing. And he also loves football and you know, he, he just fit in so many ways that, that it would it just sort of, it just hit perfectly.
0: I'm glad you said that, Kyle. I feel like George Wendt does like football when he was talking to this college quarterback. This guy back in high school. I'm like, I could definitely see George Wendt buying that seat. Oh, yeah. yeah, he didn't. I, we didn't have
2: to coach him through that that much. He's like, okay, I got it. I know, I know. <laughs> We're like, George, you need to explain me. He's like, no, nope. I <laughs> got it.
0: So funny. Michael Angelo Cavino, he is a director, co writer, and star. Kyle Marvin, co writer and star. Tell everybody where they can find The Climb. Is there a website? Where can they find their local theater to watch this movie?
2: Well, let's see. In in the US, yeah, it's
3: at, uh, I'm going to read this to you. It's at tickets.theclimbfilm.com. Yep. One more time, Kyle,
0: repeat it. Somebody will be listening in the car they want to write down. Say it again
3: tickets.theclimbfilm.com
0: easy perfect Tickets com. go ahead michael
2: i think that's just us theaters yeah um and i mean uh, i think if you i I also think if you just go on your uh movie theater app it (laughs) will show up there's also like like we've we've advanced Technologically, to where if, if if we can't find this movie, then we have bigger problems. <laughs> you can also you can also follow us on our
3: social media too. We're constantly posting not only where tickets can be bought, but also really embarrassing photos of each other. So. Okay, so you can, that you can is false on on social media.
0: And to your point, Michael, we all have the Flickster app wrap here. Rotten Tomatoes You should be able to <laughs> find <a local laughs> okay. it. have <laughs>
3: stopped working, so I, I don't know what's going on in the world. We're <laughs> about to sidetrack this entire, this whole thing is going to be about Mike's frustration with technology. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> only my frustration with <laughs> Yeah, the best comp I could pay you guys is, as funny as the movie is, it's got so much talent in it. And like now, I cannot wait to see what's next. That's the best comp I could pay you is not only is this movie great, it's, hey, what else have these guys done? It's like when you read a book and you say, okay, I want to read more what this author has done. So I cannot wait for what's next. I think it's a brilliant comedy. Michelangelo Cavino, Kyle Marvin, thank you so much, fellas. And congrats on a great achievement, seriously. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: All right, once again, thanks to those guys. The Climb is the first new release since the beginning of the pandemic for Sony Pictures Classics, the studio behind cultural sensations like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Searching for Sugar Man. Sony Classics, a frequent Oscar contender that introduced the world to the early works of filmmakers like Pedro Almodovar, Damien Chazelle, and Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao's Nomadland, by the way, going to be a huge Oscar contender. I really hope that Mike and Kyle get nominated for a screenplay nomination at least because uh, as you just heard in that interview I really really did love that movie all right Mount Rushmore of buddy movies now this is
1: kind of similar terrain that we've done Joe what did we do previously and what are we doing now we did buddy road trip movies and now we're just doing straight-up buddy movies stationary or mobile uh, and everything in between.
0: <laughs> Stationary and mobile. I love that. I feel like, okay, there's going to be some, some, so I don't want to copy myself. I, I definitely did Sideways before, and I definitely did Planes, Trains, and Automobiles before. And I think I did Midnight Runs. So I'm going to I'm gonna try to go with different picks. Apologies if you listened to the previous episode, and I'm going to be repeating myself, but I promise. I'm going to c- try to go in different directions. Okay? So as far as buddy movies are going to go, listen, 48 hours set the template. Are you kidding? Eddie Murphy wearing a cowboy hat when he goes into a redneck bar? Amazing. And you've got that irascible Nick Nolte with a voice like a talking ashtray to quote the great Toronto Star film critic Jeff Bevere. 48 hours is on my list. All right. I feel like I should get bad boys on there, but again, I don't know if I did bad boys previously. I apologize. This is going to be a little bit of uh, all over the place. I definitely had the... uh, Green Book on the previous list as far as traveling buddy movies. Okay, listen. How do you not get Lethal Weapon in there? Okay, Lethal Weapon. Do you want buddy movies? Again, uh, by the time we get to the third and, you know, okay, 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 Joe Pesci, maybe it was a little bit stale at that point. But Out of the Gate, I'm definitely getting those two in there. So 48 Hours and Lethal Weapon. Why not Men in Black? Okay? I love Barry Sonnenfeld. You know that I'm a huge fan of him after I read his book, Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones. The fact that Tommy Lee Jones kept impersonating shooting a gun every time, that's pretty funny. And that gets us to the fourth spot. Do I go with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? No, too long. Point Break, one of those guilty pleasures. In some ways, so bad, it's so good. Rain Man. Yeah, it is a buddy movie, I guess, in some ways, because you've got uh, Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise trying to uh, reconnect. But I'm going to go with Swingers, okay? As I mentioned with the guys, I think Swingers is one of the all-time great comedies I think it's just so funny and so original and so fresh and has such great chemistry with those characters. Those are going to be my choices as far as buddy movies are concerned. Honorable mention to Trading Places and also an honorable mention to Twins. Okay? Maybe even White Men Can't Jump, I'd like to give an honorable mention. Those are definitely in the mix, but those are my four, okay? 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon, Men in Black, and Swingers. Joe?
1: All right, I know I did this for the jeff daniels mount rushmore but it's a classic it needs to go back in it's dumb and dumber i think it's hilarious everyone does um i'm also gonna go with rush hour that movie defined my teenage years jackie chan and chris tucker i'm gonna go with the shawshank redemption uh with the nice friendship that andy and red formed and then finally and let me know if this even qualifies but fight club i'm gonna go with fight club because it is a buddy comedy, but in a way, it's not.
0: No, I like it, dude. I like whenever we... Listen, if I'm going to put hardcore as far as great father-daughter movies, you can definitely go off the strip and go with Fight Club. Because you're right. It's kind of a buddy movie. They're buddies, and then they're not buddies. And then all of a sudden, one of them doesn't exist. So you, what the hell? You're right. I'm going to put that in for a buddy comedy. It's a good list out of you. Definitely different choices. And good call on Rush Hour. Like I, I think that's what we're looking for with buddy movies. You're thinking of those big blockbusters. It's all about chemistry between two guys, which is what The Climb is all about. So yeah, 48 Hours, Lethal Weapon. Rush Hour, Men in Black. It's all kind of uh, its all kind of cut from the same cloth. Uh, thank you once again to Michael Angelo Cavino and Kyle Marvin. Those guys are great. Go watch The Climb, okay? Seriously, this weekend, go find it. Go to a theater and watch The Climb and laugh yourself silly. Coming up next week, Sami Khan and Michael Gasser. They are the filmmakers behind The Last Out, a documentary about Cubans trying to make the major leagues. All that more is coming up. Uh, thanks once again to my man Joe, Sean Cherry, the entire crew here at Cadence 13. Love you all. Appreciate you all. I'll see See you at the movies.